them. A few months ago, my family went to a Grey Havens concert. Grey Havens are a Christian group that um, is currently in 2022 in their doing their Blue Flower tour. Some excellent music. Excellent music about our hope of heaven, about the city without foundations whose architect and builder is God. And it was interesting to me, the Grey Havens are on tour going city to city throughout the U.S., and they're touring with another musician, a brand-new musician who has just started out, and also the band is traveling all together, going from city to city on this tour. And as I began to study our passage today in Luke chapter 8, and you can take your Bibles and turn to that place in Luke chapter 8, I thought, you know, Jesus is doing a ministry tour from city to city. He is on what you might call, and the theologians call it this, the Galilean tour. The Galilean tour. He is up north in Israel, and he has some people traveling with him. So it's a unique section in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now, by way of setting the stage, as we move into chapter 8, we move into the Galilean tour. And this section of Scripture goes from Luke chapter 8, verse 1, all the way through Luke chapter 9, verse 50. And we're going to see in this northern Galilean tour more who Jesus is as he reveals himself and what he came to do, namely to seek and to save lost sinners like you and like me. So during this Galilean tour, he's up north, and then from chapter 9, verse 51 to the end of this book, he's going to be heading to Jerusalem. He's going to be heading to Jerusalem. So, very unique passage in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I think, I think verses 1 through 3 is a summary of the Galilean tour. It's a summary of, of, of the principles of ministry that the Holy Spirit wants to give us for this church and each of us individually that are modeled after the Galilean tour of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an incredible passage. It doesn't seem like much is here, but there's a whole lot here. Let's read verses 1 through 3, our text this morning. So just follow along with me as I read. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, 
and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So we just go on to the parable of the soils? No, we're going to stay right here in verses 1 through 3 because this is the beginning of the Galilean tour. And we see that the disciples and also some women were touring with Jesus. And, and so right away, this is, the, I think, the principle that we want to take away from this message. Believers, you're touring with Jesus. Believers, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and that means you are participating in his ministry. Not just then, but now. Well, what does this ministry look like in which we participate? And I think Jesus' ministry is marked by five distinctives. His ministry is marked by five distinctives that ought to become a pattern for us as a church and individuals today. Okay, so the first distinctive of the ministry of Christ is that Jesus' ministry is marked by sovereign movement. By sovereign movement. Number one, by sovereign movement. Look at verse one. Soon afterwards... He began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if you've been tracking, but in the ministry of Christ, I'm getting a little feedback again. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. Um, I'll, I'll work through it. We, just, we still want to stay mic'd up. In the ministry of Jesus, nothing happens by accident. In your lives and in the ministry of this church, nothing happens by accident. Soon afterwards. Did you notice those two words? Soon after what? Soon after our Lord Jesus Christ interacted with a doubting John the Baptist's disciples and was thinking and preaching of the ministry of John the Baptist. Soon after, Jesus has his feet rained on by a, an unnamed woman who then wipes his feet with her hair, kisses his feet over and over again, and then anoints his feet with myrrh. Soon after, a woman who has been forgiven much, pours out her love upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Soon after that, we have this passage, which brings up Herod in the context of John the Baptist, which brings up other women who love Jesus like this woman 
at the end of Luke chapter 7. Understand in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus' ministry was characterized by sovereign movement. You cannot read the Gospels or any book in the Bible with the chapter and verse divisions in mind. You must connect what is happening because the Holy Spirit is. He is orchestrating the life and ministry of Jesus Christ so that we might read our Bible seeing the sovereign connections here that has been put in the life of Jesus. But it's not only the theological sovereign connections that are made, it's also just the, the plain fact of verse 1. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another. Jesus goes from large cities to small villages, but he goes intending to do the will of his Father. He goes city to city because of the sovereign movement of God. This is not random. This is what I'm trying to say. This is not random. Your lives are not random. Jesus is now up north. He's up north for a reason. He's up north among the poor among the outcasts, among the simple, instead of down south right now in Jerusalem, around the city slickers, the sophisticated religious elite. No, he's not there. He is up north in the farms, in the dirt, in the rural living in Galilee. Why is he up north right now? Why does he go from a certain city to that next city, then the smaller city in the order that he does. Why does he need to go through Samaria on that day? Why did he wait to head south to Jerusalem until later in his ministry? Because God the Father had planned his ministry from before times eternal. It's a sovereign movement. This is God's plan, God's purposes, God's timing in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, in, and watch this. In respect to his humanity, our Lord Jesus Christ didn't have the plan. He was a human being. He, followed, he was intent on one thing. Teach me, teach me, teach me your will. I want to only do the will of my Father. To do his will, it's my very food. I want to carry out the Father's plan and his task as he sovereignly leads me all the way to the most important task of all when he would die a sacrificial death at the precise time that had been predetermined by the Father. The Lord's ministry was characterized by sovereign movement, and so is the ministry of Grace Community Bible Church. God has a plan for this church. I'm so thankful when he shows us, he unveils his sovereign movement, like in simple little things where a song is chosen that outlines the conclusion of my sermon. The best things that happen in this church, and don't take this the wrong way, some of the best things that happen in this church are unplanned, except by the Holy Spirit, where He orchestrates people and connections in the sermon and songs, in CE hours and the like, and He is doing these things in our lives. And I'm so thankful for it. Ultimately, He chooses which book I'm going to preach through next. 
He chooses the Bible studies that we choose. He chooses that it was 2022 that we did our first vacation Bible school. He chooses these things. We don't know how he's working, but we only know, Lord, just please keep our nose in the book. We want to be attentive to your revealed will and the word of God. But we trust you, God, in the sovereign movement in this church so that we can really say if God is for us, no one can be against us. And it's a movement. It is sovereign movement. There's a principle of ministry here that Jesus went from city to city, from village to village, and I think it's this. The Word of God is meant to be spread. The Word of God is meant to be spread. Now, as individuals, now not as a church, but as individuals, I want you to consider the diligence of Jesus in these verses. I want you to consider the discipline of Jesus Christ in these verses. He was on a mission. He went from city to city to town to town, always, always carrying out the plan of his Father. And so we are moving. And so we have divine appointments. I'd ask God at this breakfast meeting, Lord, give me a divine appointment. I don't have time to be here. And this man sat down, all haggled looking. And I got to pray for him. And when I opened up my eyes, the business card was out. I've got to meet with you. I got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. It was a divine appointment. The question I have is, are we diligent to hear the voice of the Lord and to go about our Father's business? Brothers and sisters, hear me on this. It's sovereign movement, but it's movement by people nonetheless directed sovereignly by God. And I would just tell you, and I'm feeling it and so are you, the time is short. We need to redeem the time for the days are evil. The first distinctive that marked Jesus' ministry is sovereign movement. Secondly, the second mark of Jesus' ministry was the preaching of a narrow message. Jesus' ministry was marked by a narrow message message. Look at verse 1. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another. What was he doing? Proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The word for proclaiming, that first word, there's two words, so there's proclaiming and preaching in the New American Standard. The first word proclaiming is the word, the idea of the word herald to be a herald. Someone, a herald is someone who, who publicly, uh, usually loudly, uh, authoritatively, and faithfully states an official message, not his message at all. It's the message of another, someone more important than him. He does not represent himself, this herald, his but faithfully proclaims an authoritative message of another. That is the word proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is preaching an authoritative message from the book. The second word, unfortunately, is translated preaching. But really, it's a strange word based on the Greek word 
euangelizo, euangelizo, where we get our English word evangelism. So you could say this. Here's an interesting translation. Proclaiming and gospelizing or evangelizing the kingdom of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ was all about proclaiming the word and doing the work of evangelism of evangelism. He came to announce the gospel. He came to preach the gospel, to announce the good news of the gospel. And that is the content of that is simply the kingdom of God. Now, we could do eight sermons on the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is the gracious reign of the Messiah. It's the reign of salvation. And we know that that Jesus' ministry, the gospel, is all about taking people spiritually who are locked in the kingdom of darkness and transferring them to the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom there's the forgiveness of sins out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, the ministry of the preaching of the gospel is the preaching of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to make kingdom citizens who follow Jesus and love Jesus because they've been forgiven for so much. This was the content of his message. He was a heralder of the text, not his own message. Now, hear that. He's the God-man in respect to his humanity. As a preacher of the word, he heralded the message of the word. But at the core of the message of the word is himself. That is the one who is the very substance of the gospel. And we're going to see that emphasis at the end of the book of Luke. We see the whole point of the Word of God is Christ. This is a narrow message. He didn't proclaim uh, close enough, there's many ways to God, just be a good person. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus wasn't preaching self-help. Jesus wasn't preaching cultural reformation. Jesus wasn't preaching your best life now. Jesus wasn't preaching self-esteem. Jesus, for sure, and if anyone could, listen, he could. He wasn't preaching his own opinion. If anything, he was preaching as the God-man, an extension of the authority of the Word of God as the new Moses. But it was not his opinion. He was preaching as a herald and a gospelizer, the very word of the kingdom, the very word of God. And at the heart of the kingdom of God, in the church age, in the heart of the kingdom of God, in the church age, when we are grafted in to the spiritual privilege of Israel, the heart of the kingdom is always a spiritual heart, now and not yet. And even in the physical manifestation of the millennial kingdom, the heart of the kingdom will still be spiritual, although then he will reign with the rod of iron and all nations will flood in, then into them with, for the blessing of salvation. But any way you wrap it, the preaching of the kingdom is the message of Christ and Him crucified. And it's a message that Jesus 
had a singular focus in his ministry, proclaiming and evangelizing the kingdom of God. The same ought to be true for our church. We need to hear this today. We need to be preaching the word and evangelizing people into the kingdom of God. This is the very heartbeat of Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the same Paul when his head was about to roll down a Roman hill, chopped off at the end of his life. He had one last word to Timothy. He said, Timothy, Timothy, wake up. Stop being afraid. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Take the time. So I wonder sometimes, is it a waste of time for whoever's preaching up here to take the time to study the word of God and that time and energy for detailed verse-by-verse in-depth exposition of the Bible? Not a cultural phenomenon. Not my opinion. Is that a waste of my time? No. That is the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if he needed to depend upon the book, then let me tell you one thing about me. You're only getting the book as best that I can. And when it's not in the book, let's have edifying discussions. Right? Because this is the authority, not me. I'm a herald of someone else. The truth of the Word of God. And for individuals who are touring with Jesus right now in his mission... You have to understand this is your mission as well. And you know what? That means something for you. It means that you ought to learn this book. It means you ought to learn that gospel. And you ought to be praying about opportunities to share the gospel. In some ways, I regretted that moment when I said, Lord, give me a divine opportunity. You know what it meant? Are you ready? Time. We need to learn the gospel for ourselves. We need to pray for opportunities to share that gospel. And we need to be careful not to get worked up in our lives by so many side issues and side projects and financial things that we have no margin to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that we are on tour with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. The third principle in the ministry of Jesus Christ is that Jesus' ministry is marked, number three, by deep, by deep mentorship. By deep mentorship. Okay, verse one, the twelve were with him. And also some women. They're with him. So Jesus traveled, but he, did, he wasn't alone. He didn't minister in isolation. The 12 disciples were with him. Those are the 12 apostles of Christ, common men, tax collectors, fishermen, shame in the past, misfits by society's standards. But these were the men that Christ selected. And these were the men that he would take aside. And they'd say, I don't understand that parable. And then he'd explain the meaning of the parable too, and other followers that were close, and these women as well. He would teach them the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He would train them up in the teaching of the Scripture. He was always doing that, even when he had his resurrection body. Right? For 40 days at the end, what was he doing? 
You, you read it in the book of Acts. He was teaching them the truths about the kingdom. He was. But he wasn't just imparting head knowledge like once a week on Sunday mornings. He was walking with these men. He was walking with this with these women. He trained them life on life. Day after day, they watched his example. They noticed, how did he respond to critics? Maybe that's how I should respond. They asked him questions. He gave them answers. And so the disciples and the women that traveled with Jesus were trained by Jesus, not just in their brain, but their hearts. They were equipped by Jesus then to do what? To minister to others. In fact, it's kind of interesting to me that in Luke chapter 9, just turn over there. Luke chapter 9, a couple pages. Look at verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, stop there. So, apparently, in, at this point in chapter 8 in the ministry, you know, they weren't ready to do that. Of course, Jesus was mentoring them to send them out to preach the kingdom, to participate more and more directly in his ministry, to be equipped by deep mentorship. Listen, to be equipped to participate in the ministry of Jesus Christ beyond these four walls by deep mentorship, not only in imparting the knowledge of theology, but life-on-life mentorship. I think this is an important verse that Paul speaks to us in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For GCBC, then, um, we need to be careful that we don't have a ministry that is just a half inch thick and just spread really wide. We need to be okay with, with not worrying about numerical growth. And we need to be okay thinking that success around here is growth in depth in relationships in the Word of God. We need to remember that Jesus' ministry was characterized by deep mentorship. And we need to always, therefore, be raising up marriages and parenting and leaders and future pastors and people who are going to be equipped right here for the work of the ministry and sent out to do this work. And so may our ministry always be characterized by deep mentorship, by personal discipleship. You know, I was just thinking of Bobby and Danielle in this point, this principle of deep mentorship. If I, I mean, yes, it's the word, right, Bobby? But it is the principle of deep mentorship that is the key for church planting, I think of Matthew Short, the uh, pastor in training. Deep mentorship equips him. I think of Pastor Dan and equipping leaders international. The whole point is that Pastor Dan goes to Sierra Leone and other places to train pastors on the ground, knowing their own culture, to train them up in the truth, to send them out with the relationships, to, so that they can bring this truth to the villages, to other churches, life on life, in order to train others in church planting. And we need to remember as individuals, you know, what is your life all about? Let me tell you what it's all about. Whether you're 10 years old and just got baptized, 
or you're almost 100. Sorry, I looked at Don when I said that, but Don, that was just an accident. That was sovereign movement. If you're an individual at whatever your age, you are a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. That is who you are. That is your very identity that turns into a job description. And that, I think, is important. So let me ask you some convicting questions. Are you mentoring someone else? Secondly, are you being mentored? Some of you don't like that word, so I'll use a different word. Are you discipling someone else? Or are you being discipled? If everyone in this room discipled someone else and was being discipled by someone else, we would, in this principle, fulfill the, the, the very heart of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ministry of Jesus is marked by deep mentorship. Fourth, the ministry of Jesus is marked by unlikely members. The ministry of Jesus is marked by unlikely members. There's an emphasis on women in the book of Luke. The twelve are with Jesus in his presence, but also, the text says, some women. And they're mentioned by name, but if you look and read this carefully, you're going to notice that there are many others as well. Women played major roles in Luke's gospel and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Elizabeth, this is Luke, this is just Luke, Elizabeth, Mary, Anna, Peter's mother-in-law, the widow of Nain, the sinful woman that wept on the feet of Christ, the end of chapter 8, the hemorrhaging woman, Mary and Martha, the crippled woman, the parable of the woman with the lost coin, the parable of the widow and judge, the widow's might, the women at the crucifixion, the women at the tomb, the report of the women at the tomb, and on and on it goes. In that culture, this was shocking stuff. See, in that culture, years and years ago, women were not necessarily held in high esteem. It's not my fault. Socrates, Aristotle, the rabbis, the men of Qumran sometimes minimized the role of women. But as one scholar says, are you ready? It's simple. Not Jesus. He says this, Jesus, in harmony with the teaching of the Old Testament, assigns a place of high honor to women, end quotes. Jesus had a profound regard for women. The teaching of Jesus Christ elevates women. It respects women. It lifts them up. It frees them up to serve. But how revolutionary was this? For Jesus to teach and to mentor women to the degree that he did, it must have been revolutionary for a rabbi of that day to travel and tour with Jesus, to have women with them on the tour. So let's take a look at three vastly different women that are mentioned by name in this passage, because that's what Luke does. Let's first look at a possessed woman. Mary Magdalene, not anymore is she possessed. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So Mary, 
from a little no-name town of Magdala was in the kind of bondage that she was possessed by seven demons and all of the confusion and sin that comes with that. Seven demons. And yet this is the first woman mentioned in the ministry of Jesus Christ. To have these demons gone by the power of Christ, to be set free like Mary. Do you think she loved Jesus? Do you think she delighted in serving Jesus, to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus? She was set free to have the abundant life. Well, not a life of a lot of money, not a lot of fancy hotels and that tour in Galilee, for the Son of Man did not have a place to lay his head. Did that make him not successful? The love of Christ someone had been freed so much. This is the heart of our Lord Jesus. This is the very heart of his ministry to her. He went for the outcast. He went for the abandoned. He went for the hurting. He went for the impossible. He went for the lonely. This is who he brought on his ministry team. But not only possessed women, on the other hand, I want to take a look at a powerful woman. A powerful woman. Look at verse 3. Her name was Joanna. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. So now we have the scope of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just geographically varied. Jesus, Jew and Gentile, male and female, powerful and possessed. Every possible angle of the full scope of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ is here. And here is one named Joanna, who was the wife of a man named Chusa, Cusa, the steward of Herod. Now remember, Herod and John the Baptist kind of interacted. Herod was a nasty king, brutal. And this man, Cusa, was a key administrative official in his court who's probably managed Herod's estate. Okay, the wife of the right-hand man, the henchman, to Herod, the guy who rolled the John the Baptist's head in prison, who was just mentioned. A man with some power, a man with possessions, very close to Herod. I find it incredible that Joanna left all of this and was traveling with Jesus. Seriously? Do you think there might have been some pressure or persecution? Do you think she had something to give up? I mean, John the Baptist, he confronts Herod, he's thrown in prison, loses his head. Was it the ministry of John the Baptist that had introduced Joanna to Jesus? I'll tell you, the power of Christ, he, he brings people from every tribe, every nation, every kindred, and every tongue. There's nothing going to stop the sovereign movement of God when he goes after your heart. I don't care 
how possessed you are. And I don't care how powerful you are. In the day of his power, he will show you your sin and show you the glories that you will give it all up and follow Jesus. Luke alone records this woman. But you know what about Joanna? She is found again at the end, at the foot of the cross, weeping as Jesus dies. And then we have, so we not only have a possessed woman that we met, or a powerful woman, how about just a plain woman that we know nothing about? Her name was Susanna. The only mention of Susanna in all of the Bible, we really don't know anything about her. On the other hand, we know everything we need to know about her. (laughs) She was on tour with Jesus. She was a follower of Jesus. She gave out of her own contributions, out of her own means to support the ministry of Jesus. And she had been rescued like Mary before her. And she had the one needful thing that made her important. And that is she had Jesus. We don't need to know anything else about Susanna. And no one needs to know anything else about you. Nothing else matters in your life but this. And when you seek first this, all those other things that we worry about are added unto us. What are the implications for GCBC and for us individually? Well, let me just speak to the women of Grace Community Bible Church. This ministry could not happen without the women of this church. One pastor said, quotes, The Christian church would never have gotten off the ground were it not for the women. Churches around the world would have closed their doors generations ago if not for the women. And whether you're a single woman or you're a married woman, you are so very important to Jesus. He wants you to follow him. He wants to use you whether you're a mother or not, small family, large family, single, maybe an ungodly husband, maybe no husband, a single woman who feels lonely. Jesus wants you to tour with him. And he's going to mentor you and he's going to use you. Like J.C. Ryle said over a hundred years ago, quotes, it was not a woman who sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. There were not women who first took the Lord, took the Lord in the garden and fled. It was not a woman who denied him three times in the, priest, in the high priest's home. But they were women who wailed and lamented when Jesus was led forth to be crucified. There were women who stood, stood by him to the last, by the cross. And there, and there was a woman who first saw his resurrected body, end quotes. And the last part was a little paraphrased from J.C. Ryle. You're not going to find male chauvinism. You're not going to find a low view of women in the Word of God, nor in the heart of Jesus Christ. Now, we also need to remember whether or not you've been possessed in the past, 
or you had great possessions and power in the past. I don't care where your background, I'm pretty sure that Mary Magdalene and Susanna and Joanna had a nice little relationship going. Not defined by their shame or their past, but defined by one thing, their unity on tour with Jesus. May we remember that in this church. May we remember that, that we are a mixed bag from every background, but we are united in our love for Jesus because we've been forgiven of our sins. And that unity around Jesus can sort out all kinds of relationship issues, causing us to love one another from different backgrounds, different baggage, different hurts, different sin patterns, different gifts, all unlikely members. If you don't think you're an unlikely member, then I wonder if you are a member. We are all unlikely members of the tour of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for you who are perhaps on the outside, you're not touring with Jesus and you know it. You're just not. Not interested. Maybe you're not interested because you want your own way, but I don't think that's sometimes the case. I just think you think, I'm not worthy to tour with him. He doesn't want me. I want you to hear from Mary Magdalene today. No one is too far gone for Jesus. No one is too far gone for Jesus. It's not too late for your kids. It's not too late for your grandkids. It's not too late for your husband, your wife, your parents. No one is too far gone for Jesus. He specializes in these sort of things. The ones we think are too far gone. The outcast, the burden, the downtrodden. Have we not learned from the book of Luke? He touched a leper. He dines with sinners. There's a prostitute from an unnamed city. They were forgiven by him and they loved him much because no one is too far gone. The ministry of Jesus is marked then by unlikely members and this leads us to our final mark in the ministry of Christ. Fifth, the ministry of Christ is marked by private means. By private means. Look at your text. So we got Mary, verse 3, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna. Now watch this. Look at the end of verse 3. And many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. That's a female um, pronoun there. The word who, is, it's, a, it's a feminine pronoun. There were many women <laughs> here. Oh, many women also not named. And they were supplying the finances for the Galilean tour of Christ. It's interesting to me that there was a sacrificial giving out of private means to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus just, when in respect to his humanity, he's not independently wealthy. 
I mean, when he hung on the cross, did he have his duffel bag at the foot? He didn't have clothes on his back at the end. He had nothing by this world's standards. And so because of that, the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ needed to be fueled by finances. They had to eat, and it was fueled by private means. And they weren't giving to the, to the sake of the gospel in order to be loved by Christ. No, no, no. They were giving out of an overflow of joy in their heart. They were cheerful givers because they loved Christ and they wanted to see His ministry expand. And for GCBC, that means something for us. We have an opportunity to tap into this principle. We give out of love for Christ. We're cheerful givers. We give out of our private means. We participate in the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the furthering of the biblical principles of ministry. And those are the ministries we should look for through sacrificial giving. John MacArthur's right. It's a very simple statement. I thought it was good. Quotes, Jesus' ministry depended on the small contributions of others whose lives he had changed. End quotes. That's why we read passages like 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. Those that proclaim the gospel are to get their living from the gospel. Or Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. So as the church, we need to remember that it is the responsibility of the church to provide for the ministries of this church. May the Lord help us to see this and as an act of worship and to, to give cheerfully to the work of the ministry to contribute from private means so that we might proclaim the kingdom of God. And that means there's, there's some individual takeaways here. Because I know about you and my family, and not that we're all about money, but look, gas is expensive. Am I right? We need to think about our private means and the privilege it is to contribute to the spread of the gospel. When we contribute to church planting in Vienna, what a joy. When we contribute to Equipping Leaders International, what a privilege to see the gospel and these principles spread to the edges of the globe. But it's interesting that we began with divine sovereignty and we end verse 3 that the mission of the Christ was thrust forward by individuals who gave out of their private means. You know, why doesn't God just snap his fingers and save his people? I mean, Jesus had the power to feed the 5,000, to create ex nihilo, provide for the food there. Let's just go that route. And yet, the ministry of Jesus was supported and his sustenance through the private means of these women. He spoke the world into existence by the and the day one he said, Let there be light, and there was light. Why does God use us for his own glory and for our good? God works through means. The sovereign God of the universe works through the means of, of us. He works through us. 
J.C. Ryle is right. He condescends to use the agency of missionaries and the foolishness of man's preaching in order to spread the gospel, end quotes. So I want you to get excited about the private means part. If you're not on the mission field, you ought to be supporting someone who is on the mission field. Because he uses us. What a privilege it is to be on tour with Jesus. Isn't it? To be called into his kingdom, to be with him, to be part of this. What a privilege it is to be a part. May we always as church and individuals then be marked by sovereign movement, by a narrow message, by deep mentorship, by unlikely members, and by private means, which reminds us that the sovereign God is pleased to use even us for the furtherance of his kingdom. I'm not so interested, I am kind of, that you start touring with Jesus here today. You know, I, I'm, I'm even more interested in this, brothers and sisters, that we finish touring with Jesus. I mean it. One thing I've learned about Mary Magdalene is that Matthew chapter 27, verse 55 says she looked upon Jesus upon the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 55 notes that she saw the tomb and how his body was laid and reported it to the apostles. Mary Magdalene saw the risen Christ, thought he was a gardener, then it was revealed to her, and the precious Lord Jesus said to her, the resurrected Christ said to Mary Magdalene, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And I wonder what the impact of these women were in the early church. But one thing I know about Mary Magdalene, she loved Jesus and she was interested in being with Jesus. If he went to Nain, then guess where she was? What about you? She was there because she needed one thing. She wanted to be with Jesus, to be in his presence. And in fact, we're not as interested in this city or that city, although we talk about the spreading of the gospel and missions and even here in church planting. But at the end of the day, you know what our heart rejoices most about? Not beginning the tour, not in the middle of the tour, but we long for that day when the tour culminates. In fulfillment of the promise of Christ in John 14, where I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's what we want. We want to be with Jesus. And in the presence and power and trusting in the promises of Christ, that is the abundant life right now with Jesus. But we still aren't content, are we, with city to city and this dirt in this life. No, we're not. We want to arrive at that city where we desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And we, like Abraham of old, are looking for the city which, found, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let us pray.